it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. The world is drowning in textile waste. Consumers are amassing twice as many clothes as they did 15 years ago, but hanging on to them half as long, according to McKinsey and Company. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation estimates that one garbage truck of textiles is landfilled or incinerated every second. Is there a way forward? I'm Jasmine Malikchua, sustainability reporter at Sourcing Journal, and today we'll be discussing fashion's problem with waste, the factors that contribute to its creation, and existing and emerging solutions that can trim it back. I'm joined by Gwen Cunningham, lead of the Circle Textiles Program at Circle Economy, a nonprofit that helps businesses, cities, and governments accelerate the practical implementation of the circular economy. And Jonas Eder Hansen, Public Affairs Director at Global Fashion Agenda, a nonprofit leadership forum on sustainability in fashion. So, Jonas, let's start with you. Why is textile waste such a pressing issue for the fashion industry, and where does this waste come from? Thanks, Jasmine. Um, I think it's important to state that we have a planet of finite resources um, and essentially textile waste then means waste of those limited resources, which again puts more pressure on the planet. Um, we probably, we need to, we need to rethink the take, make and dispose model, which is also referred to as the linear model of um, creating fashion items today. Um, to make the end of use for one person, person A, the beginning of use for person B, um, and really find new ways of extending the the life of a product. Um, so, what? Why is is waste such a such an issue? I think landfilling and incineration are the two dominant options today to get rid of waste, which is not ideal. Um, you get less value out of it. Both economically and environmentally, um, it's uh, it, it just in most cases it doesn't make sense um, to get rid of what could be resources. Um, and I guess in many um, in many perspectives, it doesn't really have to be waste, right? There is we will come into that I'm sure during the discussion, but of course there are. Um, many options as to how you can actually design up waste. Um, I guess that's one of the most fundamental beliefs in, in a circular economy um, that is actually possible to design up waste um, and that this actually creates new business opportunities. Um, but I guess um, one of the main uh, one of the main sort of issues to deal with 
um, waste today is is recycling. But really, I want to uh, iterate here that it's really sort of one of the last resorts. Um, after thinking through, you know, how you can extend the life of garments and how you can uh, think about um, designing out waste. Um, but of course, recycling in most cases is better than landfilling and incineration. Um, there are studies out there, obviously, that incineration that puts incineration at a higher environmental standard actually than recycling in some cases. And that's why we need to invest much more in, in recycling capacity to actually make sure that we don't um, waste those um, those resources that can go into recycling. Um, and it, ideally, of course, textile to textile recycling. I think we have a um, an extreme situation these days, of course, taking the, uh, the, the current um, COVID-19 pandemic into consideration as well. Um, I'm sure that will also be reflected in most of our um, conversation during today, but um, seriously, we are looking at mountains of um, overstock, um, dead stock, sitting with manufacturers, with mills, um, in warehouses, um, all over the planet, um, basically piling up in the supply chain um, massive amounts of items that should have been in the shops now, uh, but is is now completely, um, to some extent, also considered waste, uh, depending on what to what we can actually do with it. Of course, in most cases, maybe um, some of the overstock and dead stock can can be transferred to other seasons. Um, but at the same time, we can also see that um, between a third and a fourth of what is currently being registered as overstock and dead stock um, cannot be reused or recycled, uh, would need some kind of remake in order for, for it to be, to, to be used. Otherwise, it will actually be considered waste. Um, and, and therefore, what to do with it? And we simply don't have the capacity uh, today um, to to actually deal with these amounts of waste, so um, maybe as a um, as a silver lining, um, this complete crisis that we're in uh, could potentially also unleash um, some further um, investment and scaling into some of those existing technologies that are out there, but but actually need to be taken to scale and, and certainly now we have the volumes um, of course on the back of a very tragic situation but at the same time this this potentially could be an opportunity so I, I think basically it, it's, a, it's a huge issue uh, for the industry and um, certainly there's, 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 there's been done a lot already to, to deal with it um, but, um, but I think really uh, there's there's much more can, that that can be done and needs to be done and maybe this situation that we now would actually trigger uh, some of that necessity. Gwen, we've seen brands lean into take back and recycling programs for used clothing, but clothing also has an input end. How much of a problem is post-consumer waste compared with pre-consumer? Yeah, um, well, post-consumer waste is. Uh, an enormous problem and definitely one that's, you know, growing uh, day by day because of accelerated consumption 
uh, and disposal practices, those statistics you kind of uh, mentioned at the beginning of the of the podcast, you know, that we've seen that the consumer between 2000 and 2014 started buying 60% more and keeping their clothing for half as long as they used to. So these materials are becoming post-consumer uh, quicker than ever before. Um, and the other part and parcel of the post-consumer waste issue is, you know, A, on one hand, the volume, what we just mentioned, but also uh, the quality. So uh, something that I think gets less airtime, but is critically important to recognize, is that post-consumer textiles, when uh, they come to that end-of-use moment, a huge portion of them uh, goes directly to landfill or incineration. So they're not separately collected, uh, but they're collected via the household, municipal waste, um, and and go directly uh, to landfill or incineration. That's kind of in Northwest Europe, at least, we know that that's about 70%. And only 30% is separately collected. Um, in the best case scenario, those collected textiles are being resold domestically or, or internationally um, because they're still of a good quality and they can have a second life in their current form. But only around, in Northwest Europe at least, only around 64% uh, is deemed rewearable. And there is about 36% then that is deemed non-rewearable, either because uh, it's, you know, uh, too low quality or it's unsuitable for resale um, or it's just that the market uh, is saturated. Um, and so still within that 36%, much ends up being downcycled, landfilled or incinerated. And part of the challenge with post-consumer is that that kind of breakdown between what is rewearable and what is non-rewearable is shifting. So we see that the percentage of rewearable is becoming less and the percentage of non-rewearable is rising. And that non-rewearable fraction has very limited uh, potential right now, limited end markets, and generally is being, uh, that value is being lost. And so that's also some of the critical uh, pressure that the secondhand market is seeing at the moment. We need to find solutions for the non-rewearable, the lower value textiles, whose fraction is increasing day by day. Where should the industry's focus be? Pre-consumer, post-consumer or both? <laughs> yeah, I would uh, be cheeky and, and absolutely say both. Uh, I'm really curious uh, your thoughts, Jonas, but... For me, it's not an, an either-or uh, scenario. Um, of course, you know, um, pre-consumer or you might call it uh, post-industrial. So for us, post-industrial is really those clipping, uh, the clipping waste, the roll ends that happen at a manufacturing stage. They are, in a way, kind of the low-hanging fruit uh, of the industry, generally easier to manage a more consistent input for recycling processes and, and they give us a higher quality output um, and they can be implemented, you know, those solutions can be implemented at some good scale now. And so in a way, it's a way for brands to dip their foot in, in starting to source recycled content made from post-industrial uh, textile waste. Um, Pre-consumer, as uh, Jonas mentioned, I think is a very uh, important waste stream 
right now in the moment that we're at during this COVID pandemic because we've seen, I mean, the latest numbers I saw was that global brands and retailers have cancelled around 3 billion US dollars worth of uh, orders in Bangladesh alone and that that amounts or, or equates to 980 million pieces. So uh, I saw a, a translation that that's enough for three articles of clothing for each person in the US. And so that stock represents a huge challenge and a huge opportunity right now. And how do you uh, recapture that? And I think critically important there is, you know, that uh, pre-consumer uh, has uh, different challenges to post-industrial or to post-consumer. Um, on the long term, of course, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't put a Band-Aid on the pre-consumer issue. Um, in an ideal world, that stream needn't exist because it really is a symptom of, uh, you know, really uh, a lack of kind of demand management in many cases and so on. So I think we also need to take a really a proactive approach when it comes to pre-consumer and thinking, how do we build in circular design systems, circular business models, et cetera, that really make that uh, null and void as a stream uh, in general. And then post-consumer, I mean, all I always say all good things must come to an end. We will always have the post-consumer waste stream to contend with. Um, even if we have great design for durability standards in place, if we've got repair and resale really operating at scale, still we will deal at some stage with non-rewearable textiles that need to be recovered and recycled back into a high-quality uh, output. And post-consumer is the most complex stream. Um, to recover through recycling means at the moment. And so it, I would say it really needs that extra effort uh, from the industry right now to develop those infrastructures and technologies that can handle that particular waste stream because it is a huge, uh, significant waste stream that we will always have to contend with. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, well, maybe maybe first uh, important to get, um, you, you mentioned it when uh, already, um, but maybe just to get, completely defined uh, pre-consumer waste, you know, as the cutoffs or the scraps. Um, and I guess a rule of thumb saying that it's, it's actually uh, between 10 to 20% on an average um, that, that I actually waste it um, in the pre-consumer phase or the, um, the, 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 the sort of uh, post-production phase. Um, but of course, there's also the, uh, the dead stock, the fabrics uh, that have been, Supplied from mills uh, to um, the um, cotton sew factories, for example, uh, that end up just standing around um, because of cancelling of orders, um, of course. Um, but also sampling uh, and on-sold stock, um, part of the pre-consumer uh, waste stream. Um, and um, I, I do think that the uh, we started, at least, I mean, I, I came into this industry in 2011, and I think it was in 2013 when when H&M, for example, started their take-back scheme uh, in in, um, in a few markets. And um, the post-consumer focus was sort of triggered by, um, by brands and NGOs' focus on this particular waste stream. Whereas it actually seems, like you also said, Gwen, there seems to be, um, it seems to be more doable for the um, the, the pre-consumption phase, um, and certainly also more solutions 
potentially at hand that can be scaled um, because of the better level of information about the uh, the garments, for example. Of course, it depends on um, you know to some extent also where it's it's being produced. Um, depends on which country and waste regulations in terms of what can be done with the waste, um, how it's defined as waste, and so on. Um, but I, I I must say already, I mean, looking looking seven years back in time, it seems that maybe um, it's it's great with the post-consumption focus that's been around for such a long time. Um, but so far, we are still quite a, um, a long way from those real solutions that can be scaled. Of course, I mean, um, Fiber Sort is, is is a project. Maybe uh, Gwen, you'll come back to uh, to to explain a little bit more about the Fiber Sort project. Um, but looking in general, um, we we still lack the real solutions, and there is of course lots of investments going into this, but still we um, we're not seeing the scalability or the uptake of of those solutions. And maybe we can actually see how the um, the pre-consumer um, waste can can uh, can sort of jump the uh, jump the queue to to an extent and actually uh, scale up technologies there that could then uh, trickle down to also um, um, the, uh, the the post consumption phase. Um, not sure how that looks like, but I'm I'm just hoping a little bit that that could be uh, that that could help. Of course, there's you know. So much difference in terms of the uh, the waste streams, but uh, but maybe some of the technologies can be can be used in in both areas. We know companies like H and M have invested in textile to textile recycling technologies. Are these the silver bullet for recycling post consumer clothing? And I would love you to talk more about the FiberStart project as well and how it might help this. Yeah, indeed. I mean, there's a um, there's a whole raft of fantastic. Uh, textile to textile recycling technologies that are either, you know, uh, in operation and have been for some time, namely many of the mechanical recycling processes, or are really uh, at a lab or at a pilot scale and really trying to ramp up in the next few years, three to five, hopefully, uh, around the chemical recycling route. And so definitely both are uh, critically important to managing the mountain of waste that we have as an industry. But I have to say I would refrain from calling uh, either actually a, a silver bullet. Um, I suppose on two fronts. One, you know, the potential of these technologies is largely dependent on supply and demand. Um, we have to build a, a broader enabling infrastructure that really facilitates the collection, sortation, the pre-processing of, uh, of waste, and especially post-consumer waste, where there's a lot of pre-processing that needs doing, to ensure that these technologies have accurate, consistent, high-quality feedstock for their processes. And there's a, a huge amount of work that still needs to happen in that enabling infrastructure um, so that's that's one point to bear in mind. And at the same time, on the other hand, we need the industry to start ramping up their demand for, for this recycled fibre um, and really committing to close the loop. Uh, otherwise, there is no pull on the system. 
And so you mentioned the fiber sort technology, and maybe that's um, something that can kind of help put this a little bit into uh, into perspective. So when, for instance, you are uh, working with post-consumer textiles, maybe logically, you know, you need to have uh, a feedstock input for the recycling technologies. And really the quality of the output that you expect is largely dependent on the quality and the consistency of the input. We're, we're making a lot of comparisons right now between you know, the post-industrial um, world and the post-consumer. And part of the beauty of post-industrial is that you can get those larger volumes of fiber-consistent, color-consistent uh, textile waste that then makes a recycler's job a hell of a lot more easy. Um, and so how do we get post-consumer waste, which is, you know, everything and anything coming back from households um, and really manage and process that waste so that it looks somewhat more similar to a post-industrial feedstock. Um, so that requires removal of hardware, zippers, buttons, etc. Um, but it also requires a sortation on fiber composition and Ideally, also, of course, on color composition, because you want to uh, be able to maintain um, the integrity of that original dye stuff. And so the fiber sort is an, uh, a technology that, you know, uh, automatically sorts large volumes of mixed post-consumer textiles by fiber composition and by color using a near-infrared and so once sorted into their respective bales, you know, let's say everything which is 100% cotton gets grouped together by the fiber source, everything which is 100% polyester, everything 50-50 polycotton, et cetera, then these materials become reliable input for textile to textile recyclers. So it's one of these enabling uh, pre-processing steps before you get to a recycling stage. Otherwise, this would need to be done by hand, by touch, which is very time-consuming, expensive, largely inaccurate, uh, or by a label check, also hugely time-intensive and still would be um, largely inaccurate. Um, and so this is one of these uh, key technologies in the infrastructure for textile to textile recycling. And I think the other thing that we need to keep in mind when we talk about you know, recycling as a silver bullet is critically that circularity is not only about recycling and we need to, as an industry, I mean, start to address the root cause of, of the problem. Waste is a symptom. Um, we're producing too much. We're consuming too much. And our clothing, as you mentioned, has an incredibly short active service life, shelf life. Um, so that's also, uh, we cannot let that drift out of scope. Maybe maybe just um, for me to jump in here, if I may, um, because I... I I really think this is important, Gwen, um, highlighting um, when we talk about waste that there are mechanisms to actually avoid waste. And, and I, I started by started out by mentioning how, how it can also be designed out. Um, and I think this is something that is crucial to remember. Um, and, and this, of course, goes for, uh, you know, design for disassembly um, is, is an approach that's been mentioned many times. Um, looking at how you actually put together um, the, uh, the, the, the the product uh, in the design phase for it to actually be disassembled and therefore potentially be used for for, for new products or be recycled into into new products as well. Um, but I also think that we should we shouldn't um, forget also that 
the um, uh, one of the other elements to actually uh, deal with waste is to exactly extend the life of garments, um, either you know reusing it or repairing it. Um, and there, of course, there are uh, a couple of examples out there. I guess uh, nudie jeans is, is one of the most mentioned examples, and the repair shops uh, that offers uh, limited repair. Um, and and customizing um and i i think there are some interesting discussions going on in brussels right now uh in terms of uh the european commission working on a circular economy action plan uh not just for textiles obviously but in in general and this idea about right to repair mostly probably something that is relevant in 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 today's understanding for electronic equipment um but potentially uh, the right to repair is something that could also be thought for um, for, for textile um, textile products, um, textile garments, uh, as as well as as footwear, of course, as well. Um, so I, I really think this is a um, uh, is equally, if not even more important, uh, in the transition to a circular economy. Yes, Jonas, you mentioned uh, design for a disassembly. How are there other ways manufacturers can mitigate waste from the input end through design or production techniques? Yeah, I think obviously um, in the design phase itself, um, I guess the material choice, right? Um, you know, thinking about uh, choosing monofibers or at least for sure um, making sure you know there's the the idea of a um, uh, product passport, right, where you basically state all the different materials um, uh, properties um, and let that continue uh, along the value chain with the product. Um, so in the end, obviously, when the uh, the product is going for potential recycling, um, that there's actually knowledge uh, uh, about what's what process it's gone through and what material it it consists of, um, because there's more to it than just stating 100% cotton, right? Um, I think Gwen also mentioned, you know, the use of trim. Um, of course, there's the whole sort of idea about pattern efficiency, um, minimize how you can minimize pattern printing, uh, digital samples. Um, yeah, the 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 loads of uh, of, of good ideas and maybe if just uh, I think one of there, there's come a, a couple of um, guides out specifically focused on design. I know that Nike put out one last year, um, the the Nike Circular Design Guide. I think uh, offers some uh, some insights uh, to uh, to this uh, approach. So there, there's definitely plenty of um, of good ideas already out there, and some of it being implemented. And maybe I can just add to that because I think um, this is a really interesting point uh, which starts to gain momentum in the industry around circular design um, and you know when we're teaching brands uh, about circular design we always make a distinction between three key principles designing for minimal waste designing for durability and designing for cyclability and they're not mutually exclusive you can combine and uh, mix and match but these are, let's say, the, the overarching um, options that you have. And at the same time, I think we need to recognize that the promise of a circular design 
is made true, is brought to life through a circular business model. Um, and so this is sometimes what we call the difference between kind of theoretical uh, circular design and a practical uh, circular design. So to give an example, you know, you, you design a garment for recyclability. Well, it will only be practically recycled if there's a process in place to collect that item from the consumer and effectively reintroduce it back into the system. Because right now that garment will fall into the general uh, end of use supply chain. And the good intention in the fact that it was designed for 100% cyclability, for instance, will be lost on the people, the collectors, the sorters who handle it at end of use. So I think that's really interesting that we need to um, recognize that, you know, circular business models enable circular designs to live up to their full potential. And so the two are part of uh, part of a puzzle. They need to be seen uh, in parallel and addressed in parallel. Absolutely. We know from previous reports that initiatives such as the Sustainable Clothing Action Plan in the UK that brands and retailers have a tougher time managing waste reduction than carbon or water. Jonas, what do you think uh, the key challenges are? Well, I, I think that um, one of the key challenges is that the disposal of clothing is not in the direct control of brands, for example, and it doesn't have a direct effect on their fiscal years. Um, and I, I think to some extent this will probably change again i would i would like to um maybe draw everyone's attention to what's going on in in the eu currently and um what i mentioned about uh, mentioned before about the um circular economy action plan uh that of, that that also um will lead to a uh textile strategy specifically um, um during sometime during 21 um most likely, and uh, as as part of this, um, it's already very clear that policymakers point towards EPR schemes, so extended producer responsibility schemes, um, where numerous stakeholders in the waste stream um, will have responsibility to um, to 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 collect um, and. Um, also deal with the um, the, the 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 waste um, in the right ways, and and for this, obviously, um, brands and retailers will have a clear role, and will certainly, most likely, also be um, um, be be accounted for by policymakers to actually um, uh, lift part of the. Uh, of 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 this particular task uh, that lies in the extended producer responsibility. Um, so I, I think this is something that that potentially will change and therefore um, will maybe become less of a challenge um, to deal with in the future. But for now, I also think that basically the the lack of scalable technologies that we've discussed previously, around textile, textile recycling um, combined with the high investment needed in research and development have probably also a role to play. And maybe also to consider um, uh, combating waste reduction 
cannot be tackled by improving efficiency measures solely. Um, I guess it's 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 helpful for pre-consumer waste though, but it requires brands to really invest in new business models and infrastructure, um, partly in need of upskilling and training employees. So I guess it's it's a it's a long-term process um, there with uh, with sort of uh, less immediate results. And Gwen, what do you see as the biggest obstacles going forward? Wow, do do I only get to uh, mention one? <laughs> um, there are so many. I mean, I think some of them we've really touched on already, which is um, the let's say the linear thinking that is embedded in how we design uh, products that we're not designing with with long life or or multiple lives uh, or end of life in mind. We've also touched on the sheer underutilization of textiles. You know, we, we know that um, extending the active service life of a product is considered one of the most effective ways to reduce the impact of the industry. And of course, there are caveats to that and that lies on an assumption of displacement of new production and new consumption. We need to keep that top of mind. Um, but other things I would say, really echo your point, Jonas, around really getting a clear picture of textile waste flows, the volumes, the composition, you know, the, basically the profile that we're dealing with. How do we design solutions until we know um, what we're trying to design solutions for? And then I think the areas which are made, maybe um, burgeoning or, or going to come really sharply into focus in the next year or two is a you know what is the the social what is the employment implications of uh, a closed loop supply chain um, both in you know what are the jobs and skills that will be created in these new circular supply chains when you think of collection sortation repair etc at scale how do we make sure that those are decent jobs um, but also what is the trickle down effect that you're going to have with the current uh, linear manufacturing um, and what is the jobs that will transition or that will be lost there and how do we make that uh, adjust change. And also um, in, in light of what Jonah said, for me really critically important is how do we train the next generation of fashion designers and brands uh, or and uh, designers excuse me and and uh, branders on the topic of circularity because otherwise we really risk a kind of a chicken and the egg <laughs> scenario where they are launched into the industry with an old way of thinking an old way of doing um, and i think that um, reform of fashion education needs to happen uh, quite rapidly at this stage to keep up with the pace of change that hopefully we're going to start seeing in the industry. And I'd like to put this question to the both of you. What isn't the industry discussing or actively addressing when it comes to textile waste? Let's start with Jonas. Um, well, I think much of it has actually been set in, in some of the other discussions. Um, but I, I think, um, I think, you know, the issue of overstock uh, is is definitely something that has come to the attention. Uh, to the attention of the industry um, uh, much more uh, rapidly or at a much larger scale than we've seen previously. I mean, overstock is not a new uh, concept. Uh, I think even there's a rule of thumb again that 
you know, um, there's a two to five percent of overstock to uh, to to every uh, to every season to every production. Um, but at the same time, of course, with the with the pandemic, um, this has gone to um, up, obscene amounts. Um, and I think this is actually uh, an an opportunity for us to really um, discuss the business model, the current business model that 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 potentially accounts for um, overstock um, in from from the get go, which um, from you know page one in 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 most um, supply chain management. Um, textbooks uh, is is not ideal, um, and I think uh, accounting for overstock is you know the same almost as also saying yes to extra waste um, because you're not always sure about the sales challenge. Obviously, therefore it's 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 uh, it's overstock. Um, so I think that needs to change, and 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 I think the discussion around. Uh, the overproduction and overstock is is something that will gain has to gain further attention and, and already has done so but we have very little um solutions at hand in order to address it uh which is actually it's kind of funny if you think about it because it's been around for so many years um but it's just been um accounted for as a normal way of doing business um and and this is something we 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 absolutely need to move away from and i think the if not now is the time then the time will never come so let's take the advantage of using this time uh to really dealing what uh what are the root causes um for for the uh, for the overproduction over overstock issue and then maybe just one other um reflection from my side before um i hand over to gwen as well um I think um I think the role of policymakers in actually um addressing textile waste is something that hasn't really been accounted for um the the ability to actually engage in dialogue constructive dialogue with policymakers um I think is something um that many uh, brands and retailers, at least, and potentially also manufacturers, have shied away from, because policymakers are seen as to impose further regulation. Um, but if you turn that around, policymakers can also um, help accelerate and shift the transition to the circular economy, including also um, scaling up some of those technologies that are necessary to um, to address. Uh, textile waste and to combat uh, textile waste, not just from um, the the moment when there is textile waste, but exactly to also be seen as a partner to um, completely design out um, waste. So I think that's that's another area. I mean, it's gaining traction for sure, especially in Europe um, um, with the circular economy textile. Uh, sorry, with the circular economy action plan. Um, but I think this is something that I hope um, will not just be limited to maybe, let's say, uh, 20 or 30 um, very active brands and retailers um, and NGOs, um, but something that will actually be a 
an industry-wide discussion about how to work um, with policymakers on creating the right solutions. Um, so I'll leave it, I'll leave it there and, and maybe Gwen, uh, pass it over to you. Great. Gwen, any final thoughts? Well, I think much of what I um, said before kind of applies here. So, um, yeah, really my, my input on what is still to be addressed would be largely that socio, uh, economic effect at home and abroad of, of implementing circularity and the changing nature of work and the skills uh, around that work. Um, and then I suppose the, uh, the emphasis and also the, um, the adoption of, of circular business models, which relates to what Jonas uh, just said, specifically, you know, re-commerce or reuse and rental and the potential that they have to tackle the waste issue uh, before we need to talk about recycling. And I think in that space, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done around developing um, metrics uh, to ensure, to validate, let's say, that the true impact potential of, of rental and resale uh, is indeed what it says on the tin. Um, and I think that will really also enable policymakers to put the right incentives in place uh, around circular business models, determine what is a good circular business model. Um, so I would say that's a conversation we need to start having in earnest as well. You know, how do we make sure that these new circular business models have a net positive impact um, and really deliver on uh, the promise um, that, that we think that they can? Wonderful. Thank you, Gwen and Jonas, both for joining us today. This podcast episode is a companion to Sustaining Voices, which Sourcing Journal created in collaboration with Cotton Incorporated as a celebration of the efforts the apparel industry is making towards securing a more environmentally responsible future through creative innovations, scalable solutions, and forward-thinking initiatives that are spinning intent into action. Learn more at sustainingvoices.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.